Well, let me add my word of welcome. We're delighted in your presence. I'm so glad to see you today. And last week we started a series. And I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. And if you missed last week, don't worry about it. You can go online and catch up because we talked about Joseph and we talked about the pride test. And we saw how he had some dreams that God gave him and how he struggled with pride. He didn't really realize it at the time, but God used that in his life because God gives everyone a dream. God gives you a dream. God gives me a dream, but he also gives us a destiny. And the destiny and the dream are two different things. God gives us a dream, and then we go through tests, character tests, all kinds of difficulties. And as we go through those things, God is building a foundation so that we might fulfill his destiny in our lives for us. And it's not just for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of other people. So I want you to know God has a dream for you. He has a destiny for you. It may be a a period of time before those two things come to fruition, and they're not the same thing. Now, we know in Joseph's life what happened was that God gave him a couple of dreams, and he told his brothers about the dreams and his father about the dreams, and he got him in trouble. And we talked about that last week, and we looked at the pride test. And so I hope you'll go back and watch that online and just kind of get the the whole concept of what the pride test is all about. Because anytime you get a promotion, anytime you receive an award, anytime somebody says something great about you, you, you have a tendency to have that opportunity come where you might struggle with pride in that time. And so what are you going to do with that? And today we're going to talk about the pit test the pit test. Now, there's something I want you to know about, and we're going to talk about it in the scripture and in this sermon today, but it was 22 years between the time that God gave Joseph the dream and God gave him his destiny. 22 years. You see, God uses our life. He's never wasting time. He's always working in our lives in such a way that he's preparing us And he's going to work through us and he's going to minister to others through us if we'll just be faithful and obedient to him and follow through. Now, what Joseph's ultimate destiny was, was to feed multitudes of people. God prepared him for all those years. So when the time came and he was put in the right position and God placed him there, that he could not only save the country he was living in, he could save the country he came from and his family and other people in that region. And multitudes of people were delivered because Joseph was faithful to God and to fulfill the destiny God has for him. What destiny does God have for you? What does he want to accomplish through your life? Because it won't be just for you. It will be for others, and they will be blessed as well. Now, we know that his father, Joseph's father, was named Jacob. And sometimes in Scripture it says Jacob, and sometimes it says Israel. It's the same person. And what's happening there is that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And so he'll refer to those two interchangeably when you're reading the Bible. And so it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. 
And then it goes on and it says, Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word back to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now, what I want you to notice in Scripture, a lot of times when you read it, have you ever read the Bible and it just kind of jumps out at you? Something in there really gets your attention? And you think, I've read this before, but why didn't I notice this this time? Well, that happens all the time. That's why the Bible never gets old. And when you read the Bible, God speaks to you every time. And it's something new and it's fresh. And you can't read any other book and it be the same way as God's living word is. And so what I want you to see, the scripture says this, now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. Now found who? Found Joseph. And and where was he going? Well, his father sent him out to check on his brothers. That was what was going on. And he's out there wandering in a field. Does that strike you as humorous? Is it just me? Is it just the way I think? This is our hero today. Joseph, what's he doing? He's wandering in a field. That's what he's doing. He's out there. He's, look, he's not asking for guidance or help. He's not going to someone else. This guy just finds him wandering in a field. You know, he was a dreamer. We talked about that last week. And possibly he was a daydreamer too. I don't know. But he's out there wandering in a field. You know, to be proactive, to find your brothers, you might want to ask for help. You might want to find somebody else. Have you seen my brothers? I'm looking for them. Do you know where they are? And this guy finds him out there wandering around. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, before we move on, you're getting ahead of me. Before we move on, I just have to mention the moral of this story is don't ever go to Dothan. That's what I want to tell you. Because my family, we were up at a college football game. I won't mention the college or the game or even the outcome because I'm not going to go there. I'm holding you hostage. You have your own teams. I know this. I talk to you. You tell me all about it. I just try to keep my mouth shut and smile. Because that's my job, right? It's just trying, because I have to pastor all of you, okay? Oh, wait, I get to pastor. Did I say I have to? Did I say that out loud? Okay, well, what I'm trying to say is it's my privilege to pastor you. And so I want to maintain a relationship with you. And the last thing I want to do is, is get into a fuss about it. So we left a game, a college game, on a Saturday night. And Saturday night, what happens? Preachers turn into ogres at night. That's what happens. And we're driving back and we have to drive through Dothan. And we get to the circle on the south side of Dothan, the south side of the circle, and then we wait. And we wait, and we barely inch forward in traffic. For one hour, we are in traffic from the circle to the peanut festival, okay? 
And I found out, and it's not that far. We could have walked it quicker. And I found out when the peanut festival occurs in Dothan. And I will never go through Dothan again because of the peanut festival. I'm talking to my friends online. I'm sh- one of them lives in Dothan. I'm giving him grief. Get me out of here. Send me a helicopter. I don't want to, I don't even want to have a peanut. I just want to go home. I'm in the peanut festival. I'm just trying to get home. I've got to preach in the morning. And the next day, that's why I yawned so much. But you didn't notice it because you were yawning too, okay? Like you always do. So then it said, wait, did I say that out loud as well? Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, why did they see him from a distance? How did they know that it was Joseph? They saw him coming because he was wearing his coat of many colors, the coat that his father gave him because he was the favorite child of his father. The, the reason that the brothers hated him so much was because he was the favorite and he had a coat to prove it. And you could see it and spot it from a miles off. And so they saw it from a distance. And that meant it was going to take him a while to get there. And while he was making his way there, they had a lot of time for conversation. And so then they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, I want you to notice, as I said last week, it didn't say in Scripture they disliked him a little bit. It said they hated him. And you know, when you conspire to kill somebody, it's pretty evident that you're not too fond of them, okay? And that's what was going on. So they said, here's what we're going to say. We're going to take his coat back and we're going to say that a wild beast devoured him. But later we're going to see what they said and what they did not say. But Reuben, Reuben was the firstborn. Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, send no blood, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now, I want you to catch this, and you may not have caught this when you've read this this scripture before. Reuben is the oldest. And Reuben feels a responsibility for his younger brothers. And that was kind of the way it was. And he has to answer to his father for the brothers and the family. You're supposed to take care of them, he says. And so what Reuben wants to do is, well, let's just put him in the pit. And maybe their anger will subside. And maybe as they go eat, they'll forget about it. And then later on, I want to come back and get him out of the pit. And I want to take him home back to his father. Because it's not right that we should kill him, okay? And so that's what they were, he was thinking that that's what he wanted to do. And so when it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, it says. And then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Now, we're talking about being in the pit today, and I want you to think about this. And isn't it interesting that they tell you this detail, there's no water in the pit. Have you ever been in the pit and things are not going the way you want them to? 
You're in a pit. You're in a test right now, and it's not easy, and it's not a laughing matter, and you're really struggling. And you never dreamed you'd be in this situation before, but you are, and you don't know what to do or how to get out. And there was no water in the pit. You know, when there's no water, what's that like? Well, it can be a dry place. Have you ever been in a dry place with God? And it just seems like he's so distant and so far away, and you just can't hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're just in a pit, and it's a dry place, and it's not a place you want to be, and you don't know how to get out. But I want to tell you something today, and that is this. You can get out of the pit. Everybody can get out of the pit if you are properly motivated. And today I'm going to tell you how to get out of the pit. And that's what this message is going to be about. And I want to encourage you because God has a plan and he wants to help you get out of that pit. And you're going to find out what that is. So here's the first thing. The position of the pit is important. We have to determine the position of the pit. What got me in this position? What put me in this pit? Maybe it's a financial pit. Maybe it's a family pit. Maybe it's a marriage pit. Maybe it's a relational pit. Maybe it's a spiritual pit. How did I get here? Did I have anything to do with this? I'm in a dry place. How did I get in this position? David said this. He cried out in prayer, search me, God, and try my heart and test me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me. What's he doing? He's pouring out his heart to God and he's repenting and he's asking God's forgiveness and he's confessing. He's just pouring it all out there and he's saying, God, you show me what I need to see and I want to be your man and I will follow you. And so God can do anything in our lives. He can use anything in our lives to help us deal with whatever it is he wants to help us deal with because he's trying to get us from our dream to our destiny and there's some tests in between, and we're all going to go through them, and we're not through. Maybe you've been through a lot of tests. Well, I hate to tell you, but, but you're not through. There are further tests to come. But, but here's what we can learn today from Joseph. How do I get out of the pit? Joseph might have blamed his brothers. After all, they were the ones who put him in the pit. What did he do wrong? I mean, all he did was show up to check on them. What's so terrible about that? And so he might say, and we might say, I didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else did it to me. It's not my fault. It's not fair, God. I want you to get them. Don't get me. You know, I don't have any pride. What am I talking about? Just deliver me out of this place. And that's what Joseph could have thought. But when we think that way, we're moving down the wrong road. That won't get us out of the pit. Why wasn't Joseph with his brothers anyway? Earlier in Scripture, it tells us he, he was with his brothers. He was tending the sheep. But this time, he was not there with them. Well, you could say, well, he was only 17. Well, that's not an excuse because the Bible tells us that David was taking care of the sheep when he was 17. He's old enough to do that. Many theologians believe that Joseph wasn't with his brothers that day. Because the animosity between the brothers and him had gotten so bad that their father had to separate them. And maybe he'd kept them apart for a while. And maybe he saw how much they hated him and how much his favoritism for Joseph had backfired on him. 
But for whatever reason, maybe he's just saying, well, maybe he can just go check on them. If he, he doesn't have to stay with them, but if he can just go check on them and say, Daddy wants to know how it's going, and then go back, maybe that'll be an introduction to some reconciliation taking place. Now, there are 12 brothers in all, okay? Ten of the brothers are older than Joseph. Benjamin is younger than Joseph. And then Joseph, that makes up the 12, right? Now, it says that Reuben and Simeon were the oldest, and they were in their 30s and 40s, okay? There were some others who were in their 20s and 30s. We're not talking about kids here, okay? These are grown men. These are adults who know what they're doing. And Jacob didn't have to send Joseph to check on the brothers and how they're doing and how the sheep are doing. They know how to tend sheep. That's what they do. And they're grown men. They know what to do. They, they can take care. And there's a group of them. They'll be fine. But Joseph had brought some tests on himself. Some of the things that he had done were his fault, even though he didn't really realize it at the time. And so because of that, later on, he's going to pass the test with flying colors. But right now, he's going to really struggle. And it says this, now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him. Conspired, man. They're plotting to kill him. This is a conversation. And it can take a while for that to occur because it's going to take him a while to walk up there. And so here's what I want you to see. They saw him because he had the coat on, and that just made them even more mad. And so now they're just waiting for him to get, I'm going to take that coat off of him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to put him in a pit over here if I don't kill him first. And here's the problem. Joseph was proud of his coat because it was a gift from his father. And you know, God gives us all gifts, and if we're not careful, we can become proud of our gifts. But here's what I want you to see. God didn't give us our gifts for showing off. God gave us our gifts for the purpose of helping other people. Joseph put his coat on, and he showed it off. He let everybody see, see my gift that my daddy gave me? I'm special. And that's what got him in trouble because he was proud of his gift. And you know what happened to him? He lost his gift. And it doesn't say God took his gift away from him. It says he lost it. He lost it because of what he had done. And later, Joseph became the second most influential man in the world. You know, later on, when he was in such a position of power and authority, I bet you he had all kinds of coats. You got any sport coats in your closet? You know, I keep all my sport coats and my suit coats and my dress shirts and my ties in my closet at my office because my wife decided that we needed to move into a small condo on the water. And I don't have any room left. I got a little closet. It's not as big as hers, but I'm not bitter. I just keep my stuff in my office. That's where it is. But you know, one coat isn't enough, is it? You need more than one coat, don't you? Different colors, different styles. There are different seasons. It gets colder. It gets hotter. So you want to wear the right thing. And I bet you Joseph had all kinds of coats. But I always wondered, do you wonder if, if Jacob took that coat that his sons, that was his sons that he, he got for his son, he gave to his son, he had made for his son, what did he do with it? When they brought it back and it had blood on it, what did he do with it? I wonder, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us. I wonder if he kept it. I wonder if he held on to it because it was the only thing left that he had 
that was Joseph's. It was the only piece of Joseph that he could hang on to. And so even though it had dried blood on it, maybe he kept it. And every time he looked at it, he remembered that son that he had lost. And what about Joseph? Later on when they got reconciled, I wonder if Joseph ever saw the coat again. I wonder if his daddy said, hey, let me show you something. I kept this 22 years, all these years. I kept this coat because it's the only thing I had to remind me of you. And and I want to show it to you now because it's so precious to me and I'm so thankful that you're back home. And Joseph could look at that coat and he could see everything that happened in his life for the past 22 years. It could flash through his mind. And he could think about all the bad things that happened and and how God took all the bad things and he turned them into good. And how God got him out of the pit and how God delivered him. And God put him in a position that he could fulfill the destiny that God had for him. And he could just get on his knees and say, thank you, God. Thank you for doing that for me. I want to keep this coat with me for the rest of my life as a reminder that you rescued me. But you know what? I got something more important than the coat back. I got a relationship with my daddy again. For 22 years, he thought I was dead, and now here I am, and and we can be father and son once again. So the first thing we need to determine is the position of the pit. How did I get here? The second thing we need to see is the perspective of the pit. Now, when I talk about the perspective of the pit, what I'm really talking about is God's perspective. What does God see? Because if you're in the pit, your vision is very limited, isn't it? But from God's perspective, he can see the whole big picture. Lord, would you just help me understand? Give me your perspective of the pit. Help me understand, because if we can have our Father's eyes, we can see things differently than we do. And so I want to get your perspective. But let me tell you, not only will God meet you in the pit, but there's always someone else in the pit. And he's just waiting on you to get there. And he's got his own perspective about the pit And that's the enemy. The enemy is in the pit waiting for you. He's the accuser. And that's the natural place for him to be, isn't it? Because now he's got a sympathetic ear. He can make you feel sorry for yourself. And so he's always waiting in the pit. And so how can we determine, is it the Lord's voice I'm hearing or is it the enemy? I'm going to tell you. It's very simple. If what you hear is condemning you, it is always Satan. He always condemns. He is the accuser. He is the liar. But if what you hear is convicting you about how you need to change, then that's the Holy Spirit of God. What's the difference? Condemnation is just in general terms. Conviction is very specific. God might say to you, you were wrong in what you spoke and said to your wife earlier. And I want you to go back and ask her forgiveness. Now, that's very specific. But Satan will say, you're a bad person. You're a mean person. You're an evil person. And you deserve what you get. And he just keeps laying it on. Satan is a pit professional. He knows how to live in the pit. That's where he does his best recruiting. And when Satan gets you and me isolated from God 
and isolated from other people and feeling sorry for ourselves, he can beat us one-on-one every time he's had thousands of years of experience and there's no way we can take him on alone and win. But with God, all things are possible. This scripture in John 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you know why God didn't have to send Jesus into the world to condemn us? Because we were already condemned. It had already happened. We were living, we were born condemned. We were born separated from God all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that was the, what happened in life. And we want to blame them. And we've talked about that before. But really, we've sinned too. So he doesn't need to heap any more of that on us. And that's not what he's about. And so that's not what happened. And so it goes on in Scripture. And it says, so they took Joseph's tunic killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said. What did they say? We said what they were going to say is, well, a wild animal killed him. But when they actually got there, they didn't say that. I want you to catch what it says. We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it, Jacob did, and he said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Now what I want you to catch is they didn't say a word. They just gave him the coat, and he said the rest of it. And what I want you to see is this. The enemy, Satan, is excellent at fabricating evidence. That's what he does best. To get you and me to believe a lie. To get us to jump to a conclusion about the worst possible thing that could have happened. And and that's what he plants there so that we might bite and take that. And that's what they did, these brothers. They found, is this your son's coat? They said, we don't know anything about it. And by the way, do you know how long it was until he found out that his son was alive. It was 22 years. From the time that he was 17 years old to the time that he was 39, 22 years this man grieved his son. And what does that make you feel? Doesn't that make you mad at those brothers? Doesn't that make you want to straighten them out and let let them know what you think of them? For 22 years, this father's crying himself to sleep at night, and these brothers know the truth, and they never walk across the hall and say, Dad, it really didn't happen that way. It wasn't a wild animal. He's probably not even dead. They just kept their mouth shut. Satan will always fabricate evidence to get us to believe a lie and jump to the wrong conclusion. And what happens is so many times that men, they'll they'll go in and they'll say, I married the wrong woman. I want to get a divorce. I'm not happy because I'm not married to the right person. And they might even talk to their preacher about it. And if you ask them why, they'll say, well, she's the opposite of me. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Have you ever considered that's why they call us both the opposite sex? Hello? (laughs) 
I mean, that was designed to be that way, right? And so you are actually attracted to her in the first place. You don't want to marry somebody else like you because you know you, you would kill you if you married you. Amen? You want somebody who's different, somebody who's very, very special, someone who may be similar in interest, but maybe very different in a lot of ways. And yet that can be so much fun. Now I understand that you may feel like, and you may be in a wrong marriage. You may have a bad marriage. You may have an abusive marriage. And I don't want you to hear me say anything of condemnation. If you're divorced, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? If you're divorced, listen to me. You have not forfeited your destiny. All I want you to know is that the enemy will always share condemnation with you and heap condemnation on you. And I'm telling you that because he's a liar and he will fabricate evidence. Now, the third thing is the purpose of the pit. What's the purpose of the pit? Because after all, God allowed him to be put in the pit. So he must have a purpose. Even if it is something that he didn't make happen, he's going to use it for his glory if we'll just surrender to him and allow that to happen. And so God put it there. What is the purpose of that? And God is going to deliver him out of the pit. The purpose of every pit is for you and me to make a decision. And it's real simple. We have to decide, am I going to listen to the enemy or am I going to listen to God? Am I going to complain and be critical and tell the world about all the unfair things that have happened to me for the rest of my life? Or am I going to do something that will get me out of the pit? Am I going to turn to God? Because he's the only one who can get me out of here. The Bible says in Jonah, the second chapter, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and he heard my voice. What's he talking about there? He's talking about Sheol. That's the same thing as the pit. And he said, he delivered me up from the pit. You have brought my life up from the pit. So the question is, are you going to cry out to God? Or are you going to cry out to the enemy? Are you going to gripe and complain? Or are you going to pray for deliverance? It's actually the turning point in Joseph's life when he turns to God. Now, here's what I think might have happened, because when you're in the pit, there's not a lot of folks to talk to, okay? You got two choices, right? And so what are you going to do? And I think Joseph started off like this. Now, God, I'm going to talk to you about this, because I'm not getting anywhere talking to the enemy about it. And here's what I want you to see, God. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm Joseph. Remember your favorite? I mean, if my daddy says I'm his favorite, I must be your favorite. Have you seen my coat? I'm special, I'm telling you. And I didn't do anything wrong, and it's my brothers, and I want you to put them in the pit and get me out of here. And he probably prayed that prayer for a little while, and it didn't get him anywhere. So when God wasn't talking back to him, he went to a second prayer. 
Okay, Lord, I admit that possibly, maybe, I might have had a little something to do with this. It wasn't a lot. I had a small role. The brothers, they were the ones who really made this happen. But maybe I did something wrong. And don't you forget those brothers. They're the ones who put me in here. And after a few hours and nothing's happening, what happens? God, help me. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Get me out of the pit. And I think that's when his brother Judas said, Let's pull him out of the pit instead of killing him. I think that's when it happened. I think that's when everything turned because Joseph realized that's the way to get out of the pit. If I'm really motivated and I'm in the pit today and I want to get out, the only one who can deliver me is God. And I can sit in here and have a pity party all I want to, but I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm going to be in the pit or I can turn to the one who loves me and the one who saved me, and the one who wants to bless me. And the scripture says this, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. Now Reuben was the firstborn. I told you he was responsible. And I want to give you one more set of scriptures, just two verses, real quick. We're about to wrap it up. It's Genesis 37, 29 and 30, and it's not on the screen. I didn't have it when, when I did this. I added this later. Because here's what I want you to see. It says this. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and in, indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I where shall I go? See, you can see in his mind earlier, I'll just let him put him in the pit. That'll keep him from killing him. They can go eat lunch. They can calm down. Later on, I'll come back and get him out of the pit, take him back to his father, because after all, he is our brother. And that tells you right there that he had a plan. Now, I don't, the Bible doesn't explain where he was. It doesn't explain that maybe he was absent when they pulled him up because he goes and looks in the pit. Well, what'd you do with him? I thought he was safe in there. And now he's gone. Can I tell you that Jesus came to earth to deliver you and me from the pit? And he didn't just stand up on top and say, come on, I'll get you out of there. Jesus Christ got down in the pit with us. And he came to deliver us. And, and he said, you know what? I'm going to get you out of this pit, but I'm also going to deliver you to your father because you were always meant to have a relationship with him. And even though you were born separated from him, you can be reunited with him today. And I'm the one who can get you there. And I want to deliver you out of that. And I want to help you to grow in your relationship with God. And here's what we've discovered. If you're in a pit, God will not leave you in the pit because he did not leave his own son in the pit. He delivered him. The psalmist says, for God will not leave my soul in Sheol. He will get me out. And it doesn't matter if you fell in the pit or you dug a hole and got in the pit, or you created the pit yourself, it doesn't really matter because Jesus wants to get you out of that pit. He wants to deliver every person out of there and restore us in relationship with God. Now, I'm going to wrap it up. Let me just tell you, I've shared with you before, and I'm not going to bail off into a long story about it, 
But I've told you that Laura and I, when we were married and been married 12 years, we were going through infertility. We wanted to have kids. We weren't having kids. We went to counseling. And through that time, we were in the pit. And we said, you know, I, I work with youth and the church and my wife's a teacher and she works with children. We take care of everybody else's kids. How come we can't have children? We went to counseling and about the third appointment in counseling got worse before it got better. And I can remember walking out to the car and getting in the car. And what happened in that appointment was he helped us face the fact that we might not ever have children the natural way. It might not ever happen for us. And we had to face that before we could move on. And the only reason I share, it's not about us, but you may be in the pit. I don't know what the pit is for you, but, but for us, we couldn't see the forest for the trees. Our perspective was very, very limited. And through God's healing and over time, and it was years before all of that came to fruition, what happened was that, that I, I had an experience, and it was on Easter weekend, and I was 33 years old, and I'd been serving the church for four years. And I thought about Jesus' ministry, and he only had three years, 30 to 33. I had four. And on Easter Sunday, I said, I can't imagine Good Friday being my last day. I'm a young man. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I, there's so much more that I want to see accomplished. And, and I can't imagine Jesus dying so young for me. And then I was able to say this because God just spoke to me and he said, that, when did my son get married? He didn't get married, Lord. How many kids he have? He didn't have any kids. He didn't have a little boy to play ball with. He didn't have a little girl to rock to sleep at night. Huh. And it hit me. I'd always known that Jesus died for me. But what I, I didn't capture was that he died for me and he gave his life before, you know, he even got to that point. Before he ever had all the things that I wanted, he did that for me. Before I was even born, he died for me. And I was able to say then, after all that, if he can do that for me, then I'm going to love him and I'm going to serve him for the rest of my life and mean it. And it was God. And just a few years later, we custom ordered. <laughs> and you know, when you custom order, you get what you want. And we've got two daughters who are grown now. And we've even got a granddaughter. Have I mentioned her before? <laughs> Collins. And we've ordered more, but Amazon's backed up. We're waiting for the others to come. But you know what? God can take heartache, and he can just mend it and make it into joy. And he's got a perfect will. And he'll pick you up out of the pit, and he'll deliver you. But you've got to make a conscious decision to ask him. Father, we're asking today, deliver us as only you can. We're tired of complaining. We're tired of reliving it all over and over again. We're tired of having a limited perspective. We're tired of letting the enemy teach us that we're so underprivileged, so misguided, so uh, mistreated. And so now, Lord, we're not going to do that anymore. And we're going to allow you to deliver us. And we're going to celebrate that, Lord. And we're going to thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said. Amen.